Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back, everyone, to Brown Bag Bets, powered by BetSperts. We are your daily dose of quick hit handicapping and sports betting picks. Now, it's Tuesday. That means Andy's over at BetSperts Golf talking about all that good stuff, and Matt Rooney is somewhere else with our dose of um, baseball and hockey. So we're going to do a little redub here of the uh, Network Show, and we'll bring in Spread Astaire here to talk a little tennis and basketball. Mr. Astaire, how are things over there in sunny California? It looks all right. Oh, yeah, man. It's great here. Uh, beautiful weather. Been enjoying it. And, and then, of course, a great time of year for us uh, with my French Open in the morning, the NBA in the evening. The only drawback has been these NBA games have not been too entertaining. Uh, what have you thought about this spate of blowouts uh, that we've endured over the last couple of weeks? It's really strange to sort of put your finger on. And I wonder if in the Miami-Boston series, it's a little bit of you know, Miami's dealing with some injuries, and I wonder if up 2-1 in Boston last night, I don't know about you, but it didn't look like those guys were going terribly hard. I mean, P.J. Tucker and Kyle Lowry were kind of like sticking their hands out a lot, but I didn't see anybody really running terribly well. I mean, what did you think of the game last night overall? I just it, Miami seemed to get down early, and we're like, okay, I, I guess we'll just go home and see what happens there. It just it didn't look like a full effort. Yeah, I thought it was a really disappointing effort uh, from the Miami Heat, and I expected uh, Boston to bounce back. Um, but I think it's an indictment on both these teams that they can't put two t- two games together uh, that well. And I'm wondering how that will correlate when they go um, into the finals. Because, you know, uh, this Boston team, you know, the way that they can, they, they need, like uh, Robert Williams said, right? They need to get punched in the mouth to respond. Uh, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the traits of a champion here. So let's see if they can do something to turn it around. Of course, they did win game six and game seven in a row, but it felt like against Milwaukee, they kind of did the same thing, right? They'd look great. They'd look like this championship caliber team. They'd look like the team that we saw, you know, from January when they made that turnaround uh, all the way into the playoffs, but they can't put a couple games together in a row. And I'm really confounded why the fact that they're so talented and I believe they're well coached. I don't think it's on Udoka or Spolstra. Uh, I just don't understand why the players are having problems putting together these consistent efforts. Do you have any theories about that? I wonder if part of it is, you know, when you think about these games, these seven-game series, it's a lot like a chess match, and there's time for teams to go back, and Spolster's made some great adjustments, and you watch some of the things they've done. Miami's come out and really forced Boston back into playing a lot of that ISO ball that I know a lot of us were concerned about at the beginning of the season last year, and they got out of it in spades during the regular season and looked a little bit better last night, and I think actually in general, though, I'd push back on how uncompetitive quote some of these games have been. I thought the first three games of this series were, I guess the first and third games of the series were pretty good. I mean, even the Boston blowout of Miami, that, that game was tight, I think for about three quarters before Boston got ahead of themselves. But um, you look at the other series, Golden State and Dallas. I mean, maybe it's just a three point shooting thing. And I hate to do that. I hate when people say that, but you look at the Dallas games and clearly, I mean, Dallas, one game shoots threes. It's a pretty competitive game, although Golden State wins 126, 117. But the other two, they're just not making baskets. So I think maybe it's been a little more entertaining, but it's unfortunately the last two nights have definitely been stinkers. And we'll see. I mean, I think Miami would be much better when we get back home. I mean, how do you feel about Golden State on the other on the other series? Yeah, I think, I mean, Golden State here, uh, looking forward to the finals. It, will it be a gentleman sweep? Um, pro- probably. And, of course, we'll get into that a little more. Do you want me to just go ahead and give the pick right now? Uh, what well. I like Let's for the game? It. Yeah, so um, I like the Mavericks on the first half, right? I feel it's safer. I feel that that Golden State third quarter is just, just really tough, right, <laughs> to try and overcome. And, and I don't necessarily want to write this team off, but – 
uh, we talked about, you know, and it's funny that I gave, uh, you know, I was g- given an indictment of Boston uh, for not playing well. But Golden State's thrown away games before, right? I mean, it felt like they did that uh, against Memphis in one of the games here. Um, I do like the Mavericks to come out strong here tonight. I'll be honest, I expected them to do really well in game three, and it wasn't like they didn't um, scheme the ball well. I mean, Bullock and Cleaver were missing wide open shots here. Uh, you know, it's not like it was, you know, they were taking these these contested shots. You know, the Golden State was just forcing them uh, into terrible looks. They just, they just couldn't get them to fall. Um, maybe a little less pressure now. Everyone assumes the series is over. Um, so, you know, kind of the pressure switched to Golden State here as, as things go to go ahead and close it out. The other thing is Golden State is kind of, you know, they like having that party at home, right? They like their home fans. They like the Chase Center. They want, Steph wants to dance, the place going crazy. I don't know if they're too worried about, uh, about winning this in, in, in four, you know, winning in five, I think might be fine, um, for them, but I am worried about that Golden State third quarter. So I'm going, uh, with the Mavericks first half. I, I'm with you here too. It's this is always a, a funky spot for teams that have come out and, and won three games, and again, two of them pretty convincingly, probably all three pretty convincingly. And Golden State knows they have to fly home anyway, so you know what's the difference between playing another basketball game when you get there or not? And you look over at the Eastern Conference, that series looks like it's going seven. Um, I expect some better shooting for Dallas, and again, I'm not sure if they're going to win the game or be able to cover the number, just given how good Golden State has been. But give me the Mavericks team total over here. Um, I think it's a spot where again they'll be back home for the second game in a row. We know that they generally shoot much better, and last game obviously that didn't hold form under 30% with 45 attempts from three. I mean, if I get the same 45 attempts that we've seen all three of games, and they can get even close to 33%, I think they're comfortably over this number. Again, it'll be Dallas's last effort. That stadium really does give them a lot of juice. And like you said, we saw it in the Memphis series, and we've seen it with Golden State before. They generally close out at home. So um, good spot for the Mavericks. I like your first half look. And are you going to be betting Golden State third quarter? I mean, that's everyone's favorite bet at this point. Yeah, but I don't do it pregame. I'm going to wait to see live because let's just say Golden State gets out to a 10-point lead at the half, right, and I lose my first half bet. Uh, then the, the third quarter is kind of moot there. So um, I, I ho- I'm watching. I'm going to hope the first half hits, and then I'll go ahead uh, and, and hit it at halftime. You know, in my ideal situation here is the Mavericks cruise, you know, get a nice, easy first half victory, right? You know, five to ten points, something like that. And then I can come back uh, on that Golden State third quarter number. So that's the, my uh, plan of attack for tonight. Yeah, that's always the thing to look for. And it's just amazing what kind of adjustments they can make. But one final question, who wins the title, the Golden State Warriors or an Eastern Conference team? I'm on the Warriors here, and I know that's not going to be popular amongst a lot of the guys uh, that, that we network with who are really high on these Eastern Conference teams. Um, but, boy, that battle of attrition is going crazy there as these guys are getting beat up. You know, Marcus Smart, who means so much to that team, uh, still dealing with the sprained ankle. Uh, of course, you know, with that going seven, he should be good. But, you know, it's always rough. You know, your conditioning gets a little worse. Uh, Tatum had the shoulder stinger here. Um, on the other side, Butler, Struess. I mean, it looked like a regular season injury report um, yesterday with all the Heat players on it as well. I think, you know, five of their most uh, eight 
uh, main rotation players on the injury report not going to be good. Well, Golden State's going to get a little bit of time off here. Uh, Golden State's now won. Uh, they're 20-2 and two in playoff series under Steve Kerr, right? Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, this team knows how to get done. They lost to the Cavs and, and the Raptors since Steve Kerr has taken over, right? Uh, both in the uh, NBA Finals here. Uh, you know, and I know that it's probably not fun, right? Because I know a lot of people that aren't living in Northern California are pretty tired <laughs> of watching this team win um, for, for me in Sacramento, it's all we got. Right. I mean, like uh, greatness by proximity. I mean, my team's got no chance of ever uh, doing anything worth of note. So, uh, you know, I like to enjoy their success, but boy, I really think this team plays so well. And I think one place that they're really underrated is on the defensive end. Right. I mean, I watched last night and the announcers and, and you know, uh, all our friends on Twitter are talking so much about how these teams are so great defensively, uh, the Boston Celtics and, and the Miami Heat. And I think the Warriors defense is right up there. Um, so, uh, And also, I don't think that either Miami or Boston has the, the size in the middle to really hurt Golden State, you know, the way that, that I would try to attack this team. Right. Uh, and we saw, I mean, uh, Kevon Looney's probably their weak spot. He's been a big, big uh, spot for the series against Dallas, but they have even less centers. Maybe Rob Williams can get loose. Maybe Bam Adebayo can get loose. But uh, at the end of the day, I trust the experience uh, of the Golden State Warriors. And, and I almost think that Steph's getting to the point where he's a little bit getting underrated here. I think we're forgetting how great uh, Steph Curry truly is as a player. Um, so I uh, expect him to be the best player on the floor as well, as well as the stronger supporting cast. So, And it's rough because you look at it right now, minus 150. Don't know if I want to get in on that. That's what it is right now if you're about the Warriors win the championship. Uh, but I think game by game, there'll be an opportunity to extract the value on the Golden State side. Yeah, I'm really matchup dependent. And I, part of the reason I asked Eastern Conference, I figure I'd give you closer to a 50-50 shot. But if it's Miami, I don't think they have anybody to stay even close to Curry. That should be a great series for him. I don't know. If Miami, again, even if everyone's healthy for some unbeknown reason, is going to have enough firepower. But Boston is a really tough matchup for Golden State. I wonder if they have mm -hmm. the guys to handle both Tatum, both Brown. And, you know, again, it's Steph Curry. He's going to be great. But Smart is going to do as good of a job as anybody. You've got Robert Williams. You've got Horford. A little more mobility there. So I maybe I'm going to wait. Once we get to the finals, I'm going to be eyeing um, maybe some Celtics and, and things like that. But, yeah, it's probably Golden State. They look like they're finally playing some good basketball again. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I personally like I like the Warriors a lot. I've always liked them, um, you know, and I think it's a lot of fun. I think a lot of people are kind of tired of them, and that's kind of what happens here, right, uh, with these dynasties, right? Everyone got tired of the Patriots, right? Um, so I think there is a little bit of fatigue there, but I think it's also uh, causing us to overlook some of the greatness here. I mean, Thompson, uh, what a great shooter, and the fact that he's able to come back and just give a really solid contribution here. He's not, you know, the same level of star he was, uh, but he's still playing good defense and you can't leave him alone behind the three-point arc. So it gives you the space, the gravity you need. And then Jordan Poole, uh, you know, he gives, a, I don't know how well he do as a number one option, but <laughs> as the two or the three or whatever option he is there, um, so many opportunities for him with everyone else staying home on the other shooters here. And, and then Andrew Wiggins finally has found a role uh, in which he can excel and you know maybe a lot of you know maybe he shouldn't have been the number one pick but he the guy is wildly athletic and, and when all you're really asking for him is to defend well grab some rebounds and, and then uh hit the open shot when uh the offense you know when it comes to you within the flow of the game and you're not forcing things he seems to be doing great there and draymond green is such a good defender maybe maybe the best defender of our generation i mean uh or the current generation that we're watching uh, I mean, so 
this Golden State team, to me, uh, checks all the boxes on both sides of it, as well as Steve Kerr being a great coach. And it's so funny, on Warriors Twitter, they always go after Steve Kerr, and I'm like, what do you want from the man? Like, what more could he do? I mean, I thought he's done a great job with the team. Uh, you just look at those third quarter. That's coaching. Uh, that's as simple as that is. That's making adjustments and being able to attack the team. That's uh, he is. It's it's bizarre to have someone who's been such a good coach be underrated like that. But that's enough NBA talk. Let's switch to the fuzzy balls from the big balls. How's the men's side going? I've been paying too much attention. Is anybody has any big upsets? I still see Djokovic, the Salcaris kid. They're still around. There's Nadal. Sitsipas hanging down on the bottom. How's the men's side going? Yeah, I mean, what men's side, like it usually goes, right? Chalk, chalk, chalk. And you mentioned the four players that I really think are the only ones uh, that really have a chance to win it. Apologies to Alexander Zverev. I just don't believe in him, right? But you mentioned the, the, the four guys that are there. So uh, you hit it right on the head. This is what we do, right, as tennis fans. And, of course, you know, we do bet the sport. But you watch the women the first week because it's more unpredictable, uh, more level of comp- uh, competition. And then the second week is when the men uh, really take stage, right? Because w- when will we see? Would see uh, Nadal, Djokovic is in the quarterfinals if it sets up? I mean, the quarterfinals are just set up to be stacked on the men's side, right? And, and so uh, I think the women are so much more interesting uh, this week. I mean, all these upsets here, Kontavayat dropped out, Owens Jabor dropped out. I mean, uh, you know, we're seeing these big upsets. I don't think we'll see as many on the men's side. So I'm like you. I've been paying more attention to the women. Well, that's before we jump over to that. Dan. I mean, give me a pick. I, I've been leaning to doll. I'm sorry, leaning jo- Djokovic, honestly. I think that he's in kind of a nice spot. It sucks that he has to beat Nadal, Alcaraz, and Sitsipas to win the whole thing. But I think everyone's kind of underestimating him a little bit. But, again, it seems to be a coin flip from where's in the top half. Who do you think is going to win? I love Alcaraz here. I think it's his time uh, to go ahead and make it. And I think that Djokovic is going to suffering from the fact that he's not, you know, what's it? What is it? Uh, steel sharp and steel, right? He hasn't been able to play all these matches. He hasn't been able uh, to be on the tour while Alcaraz has really been out there and he's grinding. And the other thing is, well, how's he going to adjust to best of five? Yes. That, that's a great question here. But hey, I'm happy adjusting to best of five when I'm 19 years old and not in my 30s here. And I, that's one thing that Nadal used to have the huge advantage on. We saw in the Australian Open, it feels like at his age and the way his body's working, he's he's more of a best of three guy now. Uh, how many times did he win the first two sets in the French, in the Australian and go five? Um, so Djokovic, of course, uh, younger. Um, you know, probably in a little better condition, less nagging injuries here, but I feel Alcaraz is more battle tested. And of course his game is so well suited to the clay here. Uh, he, he should feel at home. Uh, clay is probably uh, Djokovic's worst surface, um, even though he's so gr- good and, and great at all and defending champion here. Uh, but I like Carlos Alcaraz to get it done. I think it's the kid's time to shine. I think he's going to take over uh, the tour and I think the time is now. All right. Over on the women's side, I mean, it's eager pass, right? Is anybody going to beat her? I mean, you know what's funny is I thought Owens was the one that, that that had the best chance to upset her, and she can't even make it out of the first round. I mean, I, this is, you know, talk about Djokovic. This is Djokovic-level do- dominance here, um, what we're seeing, where it's just one person head and shoulders above the field. And, of course, this is her preferred surface, right? This is where uh, she's at her best. So um, it'll be interesting on the court, hard courts, you know, where Osaka plays so much better. Maybe Andrew Eskew gets back into form. She, she's definitely on her best at the hard courts as well. But on this clay, man, I think it's really tough 
uh, to go against Iga. And that's why, you know, when, when we were doing the previews, it's like, let's, uh, let's look to win the quarters because it just feels like I don't see how you can bet against her right now. Um, you know, I've wrote about it before. I said, you wouldn't bet against Serena Williams in 2003. You wouldn't bet against uh, Steffi Graf in 98 and you wouldn't bet against Navratilova in 83. And, and this is the level of dominance that she's showing. So um, I don't think you get cute here. I don't think you try and overthink it and, and be smarter than the room. Uh, I say you go with the dominant player until she shows that, that she's no longer that way. I, I'm all over Sviantec, and I think that you look at other ways uh, to make money betting this tournament here uh, because, you know, it's just, it. you know, they've priced it, you know, they've priced it tough. You know, if you got in, it went from 110 to, to 135, almost 150 pre-tournament. I'm sure it's even higher now, uh, but it seems like she's just head and shoulders above the field. No, it's, and that's why we did all our ego parlays for the last couple of weeks. I yeah. back and double check and see what's left, but it does seem pretty dominant. I think there maybe are a couple of players. You know, I love Sabalink, and I don't. I, I do think that if she can put together, you know, kind of some of her best tennis, maybe she has a chance. But yeah, it does seem like eager pass. But let's get into some actual picks. What do you have for us? I think there's even a men's tennis pick in there. We don't do a lot of those. Yeah. All right. So yeah, let's go through each one. Uh, Halep Schwank. I'm going over 17 games. Uh, Simona Halep used to be um, the best clay player in the world, right? Before the emergence uh, of Igas Fiontech, right? And, and Simona Halep's really great on clay. But what we have here is these books know what does everyone like to do on these, right? They go through and they pick all the favorites and they put them in a parlay, right? And they, and they try and make some money. So as a result, they go ahead and they just, these people that they are, pretty darn sure going to win like Simona Halep. They just jam their money line price up. Then they correlate the totals off that money line price. And then you get totals like this over 17 games. So that means that six, three, six, three, I cash. If I get a six, four in the first set, I'm looking good. And I think Shunk is a nice young prospect here. Um, you know, I don't know if she'll ever be a top 10 player, but I think she's going to be a staple of the WTA tour. She, she's coming into her own here. And uh, I think that, you know, on clay, it's harder to hold serve. Of course, Simona Halep career, like over 50% break percentage on clay. So that's going to be an issue here. Uh, but if Shunk can get a couple holds here, uh, you know, get a break or two, uh, this match goes over uh, for easy. Do you want do you want to give your comments on them all three, or do you want me to just run down all three of them? Uh, I, I'm on board with this one. I mean, I think you need a break from Shunk to, to cash this. I don't know if she's going to be able to honestly hold enough times for help. So if Shunk breaks once, I think you're in good shape. And I guess I'd just be aware. Some of these second and third sets have been really quick. A lot of bagels, breadsticks, and twos are there in, in the middle. But I, I think you're looking the right right way here. All right, next one, Amanda Nisimova. I see Zane in the chat talking about Nisimova. And, yes, uh, great player. You know, and maybe maybe he's right. Maybe she does have the best uh, chance to be eager. I love Amanda's actually just, just physical talents. Uh, you know, she's born to be a tennis player. She's got the height for the great serve. Um, she generates power uh, almost effortlessly. doesn't feel like she's really – um, you know, swinging too hard to, to generate that power. It's just a nice, you know, like when you watch a good baseball swing, just such a nice effortless flow, right? I really like Anisimova's uh, game here and the way, you know, most Americans don't do well in clay. She does fine. Uh, she made the semifinals here before. And then you have Donna Vekic, who's just returning um, from injury. Uh, it doesn't look 100% fit, doesn't look 100% in form. Uh, got some nice wins in the qualifiers, right? So she is a little bit adapted here. But boy, to, to pl go from playing, you know, ITF level qualifiers, which is what you see, uh, you know, at the French Open with the field of 128, so many people already just automatically making it, you know. Uh, the qualifying matches aren't as tough as, say, you know, like Rome or Madrid, where it's a smaller field. 
Uh, I think Anisimov is going to be too much of a step for Donna to take, you know, this early uh, in her comeback from an injury. So I like Anisimova to go under. I think that she just, I think she runs away with it. And I like, you talked about those second sets here. I think this could definitely be a case as Amanda kind of winds in and finds the way that Donna's playing. Uh, I think that she's just going to run away with it. And I don't see what Donna's going to be able to do at this point uh, without her being, you know, anywhere close to, to her best level of play uh, to keep up with Amanda, who I think is coming into this tournament in fine form. Yeah, this, this is definitely an under spot. I'm probably going to watch this live. And then, like you said, look for maybe a second set under or something like that. And tell us about this next one. You could just rip on this. I have no clue. Yeah, I mean, Sispas is another one coming into the tournament in great form. And I know that people – um, you know, are a little bit down on him. And I even, you know, when we talked about him, we kind of just left him out. You know, I said he's got a chance to win. But um, let's be honest, if he was in that top half, we wouldn't think that he has a chance to win. The reason we think that he has a chance to win the French is because he has such a great path um, to get to the finals. But I think because he has had struggles against the top players, against the elite players, uh, that people tend to downgrade him. But when Sissipas plays against uh, players that aren't of his level, he can be completely dominant. He's very at home on the clay. And I think the thing that I look at um, when I'm handicapping a sissy pass match is does the opponent have like a backhand that can really take advantage of the fact that sissy pass does use that one-handed backhand that sometimes um, can fail to generate the pace and, and can be, you know, a little weak at times going against certain players, but I don't think Musetti has that backhand. I think that Sissipas will be comfortable in the backhand to backhand rallies. And then of course he has that beautiful down the line backhand uh, to finish off the rally. So I know that Musetti, you know, likes to play on the clay, but Sissipas is uh, just a level above. And the other thing is Sissipas serve is so much better. I think he's going to be able to hold easily. Um, that'll lead to easy breaks. When I'm saying under 31, I mean, we're going six, four in every set, but like you said, I think that we're going to get at least one dominant set here um, from Sissipas to six, one or six, two, and that'll lead us to get the easy under. I could dig it. I like it. I got a couple picks, of course, all mine on the women's side, um, starting with Bianca Andreescu. You mentioned her a little bit earlier. I love the way that she's playing tennis, and I, I think she continues to be underrated on clay simply because we just haven't seen much of her. And this is a tough handicap because we don't have a lot of Andreescu clay tennis, and her opponent in this match, Benchich, all we have is terrible results from her. Um, she generally loses in the first round of this tournament in Rome, which are kind of the two tournaments that I use when I'm handicapping this event. And Andreescu is starting to build herself in a little bit of form. I had this match basically to pick him. What do you think of Andreescu as a dog here, Spread? Yeah, you know, I almost, <laughs> we were sending them, I was going through it, and I, I almost picked this one as well, um, you know, and you know, it's funny is I felt like it was more just a Belinda fade, right? Anyone that's that's really a top level player, like, you know, I, I'm not going to do a Belinda fade, um, right, with that, with, the, I'm trying to think of a player who I wouldn't do it with, but I can't think of one off the top of my head, but Andreescu, who's a quality, a top level player, I, I'm down, I'm, I'm fine with uh, fading Belinda here. Belinda's another one that I think is just waiting for a hardcore season. For whatever reason, you would think that her game um, would translate well to the clay, but I think that she's so reliant on redirecting pace and, and the clay doesn't allow her opponents um, to really, you know, generate the pace, which makes her shot so much weaker, which means she's on defense for too often in the point. I think it's too hard uh, for her to switch into the offensive mode, especially here at, at Roland Garros. Maybe a little bit different in Stuttgart, right? Maybe a little bit different in Madrid. But here, you know, one of the slowest ones uh, of the whole swing. I think that the benches really has a lot of problem. And I don't think that her game and her style really uh, lends itself well to playing at Roland Garros. Osorio um, laid a bunch of games with her in the first match. We pushed. I'm going to do it again. She gets Pari off the uh, big 
um, comeback win, no less, yeah. over Barbara Krejcikova. The two-seed wins the first set pretty quickly and then loses outright. I think Pari is going to definitely have a down spot here. Now, she is French, and this French crowd has been super supportive, but Osorio, these conditions are great for her. She loves slow conditions like this. She has a great game for this. and I think, again, we see Pari maybe celebrating a little too much his last victory and not quite ready for just the intensity that Osorio is going to bring here. Happy to lay four games, which is a little less than standard juice, and then put another half unit on the minus five. Looks like it's about plus 150 or so. I mean, what do you think, Fred? Can the French crowd get Pari another win here? I think I think you nailed this handicap. First of all, it's a great letdown spot. Uh, Krejcikov is a big name, um, but obviously not uh, back into tennis playing shape, uh, as evidenced by the fact that her level of play declined so quickly once uh, her stamina was put to the test. And Osorio is a player that I'm really high on. Um, you know, at first I kind of pegged her as a defensive player only, but it really feels uh, like this offseason, and it's so short, these guys, these players have no time uh, to, to really work on again, but it really feels like she's added a nice offensive repertoire. In, and I think that's going to come in uh, handy today because I think her defense is already above average on the WTA level. Uh, and then you add in that little bit of offense and, you know, she's really a complete player um, that could hang with anyone on the clay here. And what a great letdown spot, because if you think about it, if you're Pari and you're, you know, Pari's team, I don't think she has too much of a team. because She doesn't make that much money. Right. But this tournament's already a success. You, you made a name for yourself. Uh, you got a big win and you got farther than you expected, <laughs> probably <laughs> doubled your, your career prize money with just that one win here. So a uh, great lit down spot uh, with the player that I think is ripe to take advantage of it. Another spot here. I'm going to take Emma uh, Radu Kanu and I'm going against Sasnovich here. She's someone who I, I think when people watch Sasnovich play, think of her as someone who have a good game on clay, but generally has disappointing results has played a little bit better over the last couple of weeks. But again, I think I'm getting a cheap price on Emma here because they've been a little bit of a disappointing loss in Rome, but it's starting to build up some form here. It actually never played WTA level clay events before this year. And I think given that small sample size, it's tough for the books to price her. I just looking at this from kind of a pure talent standpoint. Also, I think Emma's just a much better all around tennis player than Sasnovich. So again, happy to pay Sasnovich, even somebody with a small sample size. I'd have this closer, probably like minus 150, even maybe a little deeper than that. I mean, what do you think of this matchup, uh, Raducanu and Sasnovich? Yeah, you know, three or four years ago, Sasnovich was one of my favorite players, and I thought she was an up-and-coming player on the tour, but she's never really improved, and I think you hit it on the head. I don't know if that she really has the physical ability uh, to compete at the top level. You know, she's not quick enough uh, to be an expert uh, defensive player. Um, she can't generate the power naturally. She really has, you know, when I, remember when I talked about Nisimova's effortless uh, ability to create power? Sasnovich really has to, to dial it up and, and put, a lot of effort in it um, to create power. Well, Raducanu, you know, you talked about, she's got all the physical skills. Um, she's still learning. And and you talked about it. She's free rolling. Nobody has any expectations for her. She played her first match against Teresa Martinkova, you, you know, a month ago, right? <laughs> no one expected her to do well on clay. She's essentially burst on the scene. Um, I mean, a little bit of pressure here because obviously the British media, they overhype all their players so much. And I think it's to their detriment. <laughs> I really do because they get these, these unfair expectations on them. You know, we're like American players, right? Like, it's just like, oh, whatever, you know, <laughs> like an easy mover, right? I mean, like, Nobody's really talking about Anisimova. If Anisimova even loses her match, it's not going to be a big deal. If Raducanu loses this match, it's going to be on the front page of the tabloids, uh, opinion pieces, all this stuff. So I think it can be the detriment. But I think you do have a great style matchup here uh, with Raducanu. If she's able to, you know, just play close to her best, I think she can overcome Sastinovich. Sastinovich does have, you know, that red line capability. 
which always scares me when I'm fading her. But like you said, fading her on clay has been profitable so far. So, uh, you know, if it's not if it's not broken, let's, let's not try and fix it. All right, folks, I think that's all we got. You can find Spread on Twitter. He's dancing with variants at Spread Astaire. Again, just put that all together. And you're a busy man. What other shows you got today? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I filmed The Wagering World with uh, Five Star in Vegas. That'll be out on the feed. And we just basically do like this, you know, about 15 minutes, uh, break down the game to give out a pick. And then, of course, I will do uh, the NBA rundown at 3.30 Eastern if you want to check that out. Uh, of course, you know, we mainly focus on betting, but we usually bring a expert from the daily fantasy side of the Run Pure Sports team. Today, it'll be Travis Mangone. Um, so we'll talk about the game that we discussed earlier. And not only will we go over the props and the side and the total, um, we'll talk about different ways uh, to create a daily fantasy build, uh, which is always fun, you know, because uh, unlike, you know, I mean, I guess you can put in, you know, 10 team parlays, but, you know, the chance to, you know, put in 15 or $20 and, and possibly win $100,000. I think that's always fun. You know, it's like, uh, it, to me, it's kind of like playing the lottery, but you don't feel like uh, you're just, you know, scratching off numbers. You're uh, actually feel like, you know, maybe I can, can create an edge here, right? Uh, using my brain, but uh, it, it can be a lot of fun. And I've had some success before uh, using uh, the tips that those guys give us. So uh, we'll be doing the NBA uh, rundown at 3.30. And then, of course, I write daily articles for tennis and NBA on Bookmakers Review. And you can find those all on my page at Spread Astaire on Twitter. All sorts of ways to get spread in your life. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Give us a thumbs up. Hit the little subscription bell on there. Do all that good stuff that makes Andy happy. Thank you to our sponsors, Fandle. And Spread, any parting words before we close? No, I'm happy to be on. Like uh, like uh, our guy Kyle said in the chat, you know, nice little net worth reunion. And it's always fun to do the great content with you. All right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow, folks.